Hello, folks, and welcome to e-commerce QA. This is the podcast where store owners, directors of e-commerce, and e-commerce managers can stay up to date on the latest tools and technologies in e-commerce. I'll be joined on the show by my colleague and partner in crime, Dylan Holst. Our goal is to handle one or two questions per episode. You can check us out on the web at ecommerceqa.tv. There you'll be able to get in touch, ask us questions, and just generally participate. Hey, Dylan, how are you? Michael, I'm doing well. How are you today? Surprisingly good. I think I've only done uh, two cups of coffee today. Oh, that's pretty good for a Friday. Not bad, not bad. Yeah. Well, you and I were just talking about maybe the most basic question you could ask when it comes to e-commerce, but maybe the most important question too, which is, and it was kind of spawned by a core question, but how can I increase sales on my e-commerce website? That's such a good question. It's easy to give a flippant answer, you know, say, oh, well, Spend more on your Google ads. <laughs> yeah. But that's not really, I don't think that's really the question, right? I mean, that's fine. We can talk about short-term tactics, but most people listening to this, I mean, if you're serious enough to listen to a podcast about e-commerce, a lot of you, I know you already, you guys have been in this game for a long time. You know, you've sacrificed to build a business and it's not a short-term investment. It's a long-term play. And so I think if you don't mind, I'd like to look at this question from that standpoint of how can we increase revenue in a sustainable way? Does that make sense? It does. It does. So what is the main question that we need to ask then with that in mind? Let's refine that question a little bit. Good. What should it actually be? Yeah. So this is the question that I spent more time thinking about than any other question in e-commerce. And it's because of this issue that, you know, there's all these short-term tactics on how to grow your revenue and your sales. But Mm -hmm. to me, they all often seem gimmicky. And I feel like a lot of them are kind of short-term gain, uh, long-term pain. Like, for example, all of those, you know, exit pop-ups and coupon pop-ups. And this is just kind of a silly example. But yeah, they actually have been found to increase your conversions. But they're super annoying. (laughs) Yeah. So the question that I like to go with is how do you create a satisfying purchasing experience? Okay. And the reason I want to phrase it that way is a lot of people think about, well, how can I please my customers or how can I impress my customers or how can I service my customers in the in the fastest way? But the funny thing is that's not always appropriate for client base. In some scenarios, mm. You don't actually want to, quote unquote, please your customers by offering, you know, all this white glove stuff and endless communication. And that's not always appropriate. Sure. And conversely, you definitely don't want to just be minimalist in your approach. Like, oh, well, I'm just going to be respectful of my customers and never email them or something. Sure. So it's like the right amount of communication. Yeah. Think about the best experience you've ever had at a restaurant. You know, the waiter was key, right? Like the waiter knew when to show up knew when to talk and when to just not be there at all. Mm. And the most important thing was what they didn't talk about. It's what they did. They saw you had a need, they filled the need, they got out of the way. Mm. And maybe they were funny, you know, maybe they weren't. And that has a lot to do with you as a person, whether you, what type of waiter you like, what type of restaurant you like. But the point is the end goal is always the same. It's to satisfy the customer in the context of a purchase. And I'm not talking about lifetime customer value. We'll talk about that another time. I'm talking about, Within a particular transactional context, how can we satisfy that customer? Okay, so give us an example maybe of a purchasing experience that did that for you. You you felt like they had the right amount of communication and you felt comfortable in the scenario. Mm. 
Good question. I'm thinking of a time I bought my first guitar. Mm. It was at a, well, pretty famous guitar shop in Carlsbad, California called Buffalo Brothers Guitars. They had this funky buffalo looking thing. And it was just one of those quirky places that is out of the way. And if you know about it, you're passionate about it. So here's how it went. I already knew I wanted to buy a guitar. I didn't know exactly how much I wanted to spend, but I had saved my pennies for a long time. And I think it was 14. So there was kind of four stages. I, I, I went there, obviously I had to be driven there. So there was the context of actually being there and the time that I spent there. There was the introduction that I felt and the kind of the warmth and the welcome that I felt, even the smell of the guitars, you know, there's a lot of pro musicians playing there. So it's like, feels like this cool place to be if you're into guitars at all. The third stage was the interaction that I had with the sales rep who was extremely nice. He was a player himself. He wasn't pushy at all, but he helped guide me towards a purchase decision through first qualifying me to make sure that I actually was there to make a purchase rather than just look. Um, second, helping feel out what my options or what my criteria were, what things I liked. Mm-hmm. Shepherding me towards those options that actually met those criteria and then and then shortlisting from there. And then finally leaving me to make the decision and uh, you know helping me with the questions associated with that. The fourth stage was obviously the transaction, but that feels like downhill. I mean, by that point, it's like, it's almost like when somebody's ready to buy, unless you deliberately get in their way, you've got a sale. So the most important part is not optimizing your checkout. It's not, you know, getting your um, your pop-ups to work just right. It's about creating a place that people want to be and actually giving them uh, tracks to run on to make that purchase. It's not, it's not one or the other. Like, you can't just make a nice website. You can't just make, uh, you know, a salesy website. It has to be a nice sales-oriented website. Make sense? Yeah, it makes sense. And you could argue that each one of those points directly were, were still a part of the transactional process in a sense. So totally. when you're thinking about creating a satisfying purchasing experience, the entire thing is essentially the transaction. It comes down to the entire process. Was it a comfortable experience? Was it something that a customer would want to repeat? So yeah, totally makes sense. Maybe tell us a little bit about in the context of e-commerce since that's what we're talking about here today. Tell us a little bit about what are the easiest ways that you can utilize some of those concepts on the internet? Good. So actually, we have a course on this. You can take it. If you go to celery.com, it's a course that we offer. It's a free course, email course, about how to, how to make these satisfying purchasing experiences. So I'm going to pull a little bit from that. Let's talk about a few different scenarios. Luxury purchase, okay? For luxury items, you have to reflect the fact that everything about the purchase is luxurious, right? So you're going to have good design. You're going to have high resolution photos. You want the models. If it's a, a you know, a consumer facing item, um, you want them to feel like they can relate to the way those people look. That's, that's how you would create that experience. So it's very much contextual. Um, contrast that very strongly to an economy purchase, you know, this is the people that they need to get in. They need to get out. They're really just shopping on the price basis. So think about that. That's going to be a lot of navigational UI you're going to do. Think about Amazon's, you know, one button that you click to find everything. Sure. Uh, that whole, I go here, I find the thing, it's cheap. That's what people will be satisfied. And if you think about Walmart, what's their value prop? Walmart's value prop is, uh, you know, save money, live better, I think. So their value proposition has nothing to do with the products. It's all about how little you have to spend on their products. Mm. 
and they just want to get out of the way, right? Like, here's the product. You can buy it. We're decently nice. And there you go. You could contest that point if you wanted. I've been to some great Walmarts and some terrible ones. Um, <laughs> think about a specific case here, health and well-being purchases. People here, I mean, if you're buying shoes, that's one thing. But if you're buying something that's going to affect your health mm -hmm. and maybe your work productivity or something like that, you need a reassurance. You need an abundance of trust signals. You need to know that whatever you're buying is, is, is not going to hurt you. I mean, if you're buying supplements online, that means you probably didn't, you, you're trying to save money, right? But you can't just buy a bottom of the barrel supplement. Everybody knows that, mm -hmm. you know? So that trust signal is super important. Think about a utility purchase. This would be, you know, if you have to buy something for your business or you need to buy something that, you know, for your car, let's say a part. This is all about specific information. And this is probably the most left brain of all the examples I'm going to give is it's all about, does this meet these stringent criteria? And if you can do that, done, sold. So I'll give you one more scenario and then we'll wrap. Uh, and this is kind of a funny one, but think about hipster purchases, you know, and I, I'm saying that tongue in cheek, but this is where you got the, the site that has the, the gothic looking guy wearing jeans and there's no buy button. It's just like view the story. And then maybe there's no price listed anywhere and you just click buy. And it's all about the ethos of associating with sure. this is the type of product I want in my life. Sure, yeah. I don't care how much it costs, you know, I don't care how hard your checkout is. I mean, don't, don't bother me, you know, but think about the context that you're providing your customers. Think about how satisfying they're going to be going through the process of purchasing. And one more thing, it doesn't just end at the sale. It ends when the transactional flow is fully complete. And that's actually after the sale. So in this day and age, you want to send them an email after 10 days and say, hey, how did everything end up? Uh, you know, give us a review. The whole transactional process needs to be pleasant. And if you can nail that, ultimately, you're going to maximize your e-commerce revenue more than any other tactic that I'm aware of. Real quick before we finish up, are there any resources that people should look at in terms of learning how to automate emails correctly? Yeah, there's actually quite a quite a few. This is going to depend in some ways on your platform. Sure. So what you want to look for is a transactional email platform that allows you to do things like abandoned cart emails and mm -hmm. uh, reminder emails, maybe some personalization. So Windsor Circle is a really good retention-oriented platform that you should look into. Okay. Uh, and there's one other thing I, I want to share before we wrap, which is you can kind of tell, not fully, but you can kind of tell how happy people are with their time on your site by using tools that show you how they're using it. Um, it sounded funny. But it makes sense. I mean, can you give us an example of a something, uh, you know, an app that does that? Yeah, it's an app I'm thinking of called Hotjar. Okay. And everybody knows about Crazy Egg. That's the heat mapping. Right. Well, this one does heat mapping and a lot of other stuff, too. It allows you to mm. see the heat maps, which is... It shows you where users are, are moving their cursor and spending the most time on and clicking on. Mm -hmm. It also can record the actual motion of the user, mm. their cursor or their, their mobile scrolling on the page in a, a little video. And, you know, the other thing is you can, through this app, you can put out little polls on your site that people are going to be able to um, take. And maybe you could say, you know, after the checkout, how was that checkout process? Was that sure. Was that cool? Was that easy? And you don't want to inundate people with requests to give them to give you data, but you sure, do want yeah. to, you know, try and test that. So check out Hotjar. Okay. So another easy way to, you know, 
kind of measure and figure out whether or not what you've set up for creating that satisfying purchasing experience is actually working and we'll maybe give you some ideas on how you can refine your process to get it closer to what your customers are, are looking for. So, all right, well, we're going to have links to the email course that Michael was talking about and Hotjar and also Windsor Circle in the podcast notes. So be sure to check those out. And thanks for listening, folks. We'll be back next week for e-commerce Q&A number three. Thanks, folks. Talk to you soon.